What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Unofficial Therapy Podcast. I am Chris Kane. I got my boy, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Marcus, what's up, man? <laughs> what's going on, man? I had to big you up on the front end, man. The man, the myth, that. the renaissance man, the dude, the dude with the plan, the dude with the thoughts, man. That's that's how, that's how I always see you. I appreciate that, man. Make, make me feel good inside. Listen, you know what? You know what? I was telling a story recently about you. You were back in high school when I think we were getting ready for like a track meet or something like that. And I was trying to big myself up about this woman. And uh, she saw me and said, hi, Chris. Bye, Chris. And she just walked hey, away. <laughs> I thought about that yesterday. Because <laughs> I knew I knew we were going to be on here. I was like, I'm not even going to bring that up. But you already brought it up. So. <laughs> Bro. Hilarious. You roasted me for so long, and I had no response. I had nothing to say to you. Hey, I mean, it happened. Everybody saw it happen. It was it was one of the most savage moments. I, I, listen, I've been dumped before. I've been let go. You know, I've been I've been I've been relieved of my duties. All that stuff. It's never been that. Just not. I think everybody that saw that happen felt <laughs> like we felt it. It hurt. I feel like it hurt me the most because like I because I was just bigging myself up like yeah you know what I'm saying shut yeah just like you know trying to and it just uh, it was bad you was definitely capping look I mean but, but his, okay. I didn't his thing I didn't think I was capping I just read the signs wrong that, that, that was that was the bad part about it the bad part is I thought I was I thought I was in the right I thought you know when people just like yo when the truth come out y'all gonna see. I'm thinking in the moment of truth, you're going to see that I'm not capping, that I really am becoming that dude. And then she just went, just took my resume and put it through the shredder. And uh, it, it, it happens, man. It happens. Yeah, you Yours just happened publicly. publicly? <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. You weren't this discerning about, hey, it happens at the moment. It was like, you got your seven hearty chuckles in. You got some Listen, points off. I'm a more mature human being now so oh okay well, well, you know i appreciate I was a child that. i was a child then <laughs> appreciate it. i said that still have that comes up every like four to six months i'll just think of it like i'll see you post something on facebook and i'll just be like oh, he was there he was there for, he was there for one of the low lights <laughs> he, was there, he was there for one of the low ones because <laughs> like every, cause every every breakup every like anytime you're rejected i don't know how women respond to being rejected i know as a guy Anytime you're rejected, your ego just gets chipped away a little bit. It's like the beach being eroded a little bit. It depends on how much sand you have. You can take a lot of erosion before inside the house. But it's always a little bit when you put some stock into it, you put some energy, and it's just like, it's going to be well, enough for me. Yeah. I just learned it to not have expectations, you know? Oh, you're better than me. See, I, that's my thing. I like expectations. I like, and I, there's, there's a roller coaster element to that. And that this is, something that self-reflection I have to be okay just like in this like I'm in LA to do entertainment do comedy stuff anytime I, I get on stage in my brain this is going to be amazing that's that because that then I go like oh, I'm about to kill it and that gives mm -hmm. me almost like that self-talk builds me up so I go on stage expecting to be great because that's why I already played out of my head like this is going to be great they're going to laugh not that I'm going to be famous when the set is over but I'm going to leave thinking all right that comic is good at what he does. He did his job. I want to see him again. That's where my head is. 
And then sometimes you go on stage and uh, the crowd is cold. He's like, hey guys, what's, what's the deal with airline food? And they're just like, meh. <laughs> that's not something you can control though. Like, oh yeah, yeah. All that's... you can control is what you can control, you know? So Listen, you, know, you, take, you take those lumps. There's no, nothing wrong with being confident. I, I believe in being confident, but you know, I don't, I don't have an expectation of, of the outcome. Mm. So, you know, I did what I could, you know, to the best of my ability. The results, you know, it's, it's going to play out. It's going to play out. So, yeah, that's like, I, like you said, there's a maturity element to this. And there's like, in regards to like business, that's where I am. In regards to uh, my clientele, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. But my natural thinking pattern and where my brain lends, lends itself to is to, to think big, but like yeah. take, take account of like small moments. I understand every big moment is a collection of a bunch of small moments. So you don't look over the small moments to get to the big moment, but you do ultimately want something big to happen. I wouldn't have moved out here if I didn't think that was a possibility. But yeah. within that is a lot of little victories, little losses, and you just do that think, little thing. I think also we're kind of conditioned to, like we we play sports in high school, we're competitive, you yeah. know, by nature. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you start to see everything as a competition. True. It's really not, you know, like you're not necessarily competing against somebody. You're just trying to improve yourself yeah. to seize that opportunity. That's that's where that's where the growth is coming in now. And like I don't know if like, this is our first time on a pod, but what this became and then what my regular life is is I don't think I'm in competition with anybody. I know we're in LA, so maybe there's an audition and they are going to hire one person for that role. So mm-hmm. in that regard, there is a there's an outcome focused goal. Ultimately, I would like to get the role. I'm auditioning for it. I want to get the role. But I don't have any malice towards anyone who's auditioning. And I'm not going to like undercut somebody to get the role. Because that's that's where I am on that spectrum. But ultimately, even yeah. If you do that, even if you do that and you get the role, you still weren't good enough to get it. Mm. Mm. You're dropping bars now. So you came, you came on a pie hot. <laughs> <laughs> you came, came on a pie stream from 30. I didn't realize we had stuff on the pie today. That's but that's but that's I think what you said is where I am because I, I'm, I'm from from the south. I'm like I'm from Duval, whatever. So being in LA, the idea of the way people move out here is different than how southern people move. There's a very much it's a me by any means necessary kind of approach out here. And because I'm not from that, I think I'm naturally averse to it. I've I've done auditions where people in the audition like waiting room are putting each other down and doing that whole thing. I'm like. Ugh, y'all got some self-esteem things to kind of figure out because this is y'all can do all that but at the end of the day if i'm better than you i'm just better than you none of that none of that's going to matter you know that's, yeah if, this, if i'm what they want i'm what they want that's what kind of plays itself out most of the time which actually makes this great because it's like uh pete carroll back when he was at usc the whole thing was he just had basically like, like an open competition for all positions, except for like Reggie Bush's job. So like Reggie Bush, you got the job. Everybody else, it's like, rest yeah. of y'all got to compete. Y'all got to compete. Old lineman, you might be, you might start this week and be third string next week. And it was the idea that if you're the best, you're going to consistently perform at that level. And if, because you know that there's a, someone coming for your spot and that really brings out the best in you. And 
but also it makes the team work better because if you saw someone perform better than you, mm-hmm. you can't be like, how come not on the field? You watch them. You exactly. were practicing. You saw them. That's fine. <laughs> you, saw, you saw them get four picks in a row. Like, don't be mad. Yeah. You're not playing DB. You, you think I'm going to be on the bench behind Percy Harvin and be like, why, why is he starting? I know. I, I, I watched. Like you saw him return that kickoff 105 yards and you saw you fumble the next kickoff on your turn. And you're like, come on, coach, man. You just got to end for me. It's like, uh, no, nah, that guy just scored a touchdown. <laughs> I need you. But this is not, <laughs> this is a meritocracy. We watch this dude run past the whole defense. We watch you run into your wedge blockers. <laughs> like just ran into the back. I'm like, y'all can't block. It's like, dude, the lane was there. What were you looking at? So I think the more, that's what LA I think it is supposed to be. And I think really that's what, major industries are especially creative ones are supposed to be like ideally we all listen to music we know there's always this infatuation with underground music because it's all these really talented people who haven't made it yet so we like romanticize like mm. oh sold cds out your trunk and you know you still love the game and then you get famous and you start making like pop and like secular or whatever type music and it, it switches up and we love the idea of the talented people should be on people who are great at what they do should get recognized for it. And we see people who maybe are less than maybe who were chosen or what have you get put on. And I think that's where sometimes there's a friction between how is that person getting Grammys when this person is like, you know what I'm saying? And that, that's a weird social thing. For me, I feel like it depends on, depends on your goal. Mm-hmm. Depends on, the standards you're judging by, like for like to take music as an example. Okay. Like if you have an artist you think is extremely talented, like just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You can't really get mad that they're not more famous because they may be on a level that the average person can't really comprehend. True. I see that. But they're not going to sell as much as somebody who has simplified, you know, their sound a little more. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's not good music. Yeah. It's just you don't have enough people that want to hear it. I mean, that's nobody's fault. Right. Because nowadays, anybody can listen to anything. It's not the way it comes on the radio. You can find music everywhere. It's DSPs all over the place. Post music everywhere. You're not wrong. It's much easier to get into that industry. So given the what your goals and expectations are and all that, you're you're an artist. And mm-hmm. maybe and you're more than that, but for the purposes of this part of the conversation, what is it that you want ultimately? Like, like looking back 50 years from today, what is it that you want to be? What, what is it that you want to put into the world with your art? And what is it that you want people to feel and to get from your art? If that makes any sense. It does. Um, I think the main thing is I want to have some sort of impact, mm-hmm. whether it's in teaching art or creating art or whatever, just some sort of impact, you know, whether it's locally nationally, internationally, Mm -hmm. that's where I am right now. But, um, you know, I have other 
kind of personal goals. Like, you know, I want to have my own studio. I mean, my own gallery nice. at some point, you know. I want to give opportunities to other artists, you know, that kind of stuff. That's, I mean, that's still impact too, though. That guy goes back to your first goal a little bit. Yeah, true. Like, if you, like, I think that's what you're saying, I think kind of mirrors, because people ask the same thing about comedians. Like, what is it that you want to do with comedy? And yes, you want to be funny at like the base level, be funny. You want to be a good artist. You don't want people to be like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, you want people to be like, I like, I like what I'm looking at. I like what I'm yeah. hearing. Right. So I, I want to be funny, but yes, I want there to be impact. I don't know how many artists there are per capita in the country. I know there are a bunch of comedians all over the place. And that pool is saturated. It's like, you know, anchovies in the water. It's hard to know, like for you to rise to the top, you have to be, you know, in that small sliver of people. Most people can only name like 20 comedians. And I know personally like a hundred. So <laughs> how many are there in nationwide? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. to make the impact of, oh, I love X person's work is- Think, think about how many, living artists the average person can name that's the thing so you know you can be in it for the fame but you know i'd rather just be happy doing what i like to do you know whatever that looks like that's what's up you have like one piece that is like your i'm not gonna say your mona lisa because i feel like that's cliche but it's like, because I got, because I'm relating our given professions and our given like passions. There's, mm -hmm. there are comics who have a joke that everybody knows more than they know the rest of the oh. comedian. So it's like, that, like Eddie Murphy's ice cream joke is more, is, is more impactful than like the rest of the hour of that special, even though the whole special is funny. People remember that part and can just quote it. Oh yeah. And it just, the Kevin Hart, mm, game guy, uh, juice, yeah. that thing. <laughs> that was like that was 10 years ago and people are still doing that because it like, it hit a, a level, it hit people in a certain way that just, and I don't know when he wrote it, if he thought it would, it just happened mm -hmm. to go that way. And I was like, oh, you're the game guy, game guy guy. I was like, well, yeah, I got four of the specials. <laughs> I'm not just that dude, but. Yeah, the, the, way, the way stuff is now, you always got to top the last thing, so. It's hard, but um, yeah, now that you explained it, I, I think I would have two of those. Um, one, the first one was the, um, I don't know if you remember the Olivia Pope one. Of course I did. She had like the white on and she was yeah. yeah, I remember that. Live, man. So that was Love the first one. Every time I went somewhere, that's what people knew. Like people knew that and didn't even know I did it. Like they were just talking to me about, oh yeah, I saw this piece. And I was like, yeah, that's, it's mine. <laughs> so disrespectful. I saw this no, great piece. I don't mind. Okay. I don't mind because I don't I don't really care if people know who I am. Like if you know the work, that's good enough. Sure. You know, but um it was that one and then it was this one I did for um an exhibit here, an annual exhibit they have called um Through Our Eyes at the Ritz. Mm-hmm. It's a piece called Stranger Fruit. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, let's describe it to me. I've probably seen it, but I don't know like the art by like the name of the art. So basically I took um, 
a photograph of a lynching. Hmm. Like it was a bunch of people in the crowd just pointing and posing for the camera. And um, I basically switched the races. Hmm. I repainted the, the painting and, and I switched the races. And um, that's one that a lot of people talk about a lot. It sounds like that would cause quite the stir. If it's one of those uh, those those stir pieces where it's going to evoke a conversation. It kind of did, um, especially like you know, with the publications in in the comment sections and stuff like that. But um, there was a lot of positive stuff too. So, yeah, some people got it, some people did. Does it? So I know you say you don't set expectations. So does it matter to you if people get it or not? Are you just happy with the work you put out? Not really. Well, it doesn't matter really because the people that don't get it, I knew they wouldn't get it. <laughs> okay. It wasn't for them, you know? Okay. And and them not getting it, they kind of proved the whole point of the painting in the first place. I got you. Like so they were mad. They were upset about a painting. But we see photos, you know, we're, we're black. Yeah. We grew up in America. We've seen these images since we were kids. Yeah. These same images of real events. And they can't handle a painting. They're more upset about the painting than the actual events yeah. themselves. Yeah, because the people in the painting look like them. So now they have some empathy. But before, when it was real events and the people didn't look like them, you know, it was all that happened in the past. This didn't happen at all. Yeah. You know, mm. kind of proving my point. Yeah, yeah. Like they're mad about the hypothetical. Exactly. Hypothetical over the history. Is that what you think happened after the storming of the Capitol thing? where there's some Americans who just thought BLM was this. Right. And, oh, my bad. Can you hear me now? Good? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Is that what you think happened yeah, after, after the protests or no, the terrorism at the Capitol and people who were looking at BLM and looking at other protests during the course of COVID, like, this is, the, this is not America, blah, blah, blah. And then that happens. And now it's, oh, man, we've gone too far. And the sacred institutions, do you think now is like, because they see their color, it's like, oh, now I understand. And now I'm having some empathy for the next like 48 hours, basically. I don't even think, I think the people that understand always understood, but it was to their advantage to pretend they didn't. Mm. And then there are people who are just delusional a lot of that there's a lot of that I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people just because I'm, I'm in Cali and people just like they just talk and stuff and there's a lot of people who are like how is it possible that they can scale the capital safely I was like think think this through for a second let me just do a thought experiment there's like three to four places that are like super sacred like Fort Knox the capital the White House and maybe like a fourth location where security is tantamount like we can't afford for mess ups you mess up at fort knox like 
we got some problems financially, right? Obviously the White House. So you think, given how important the building is, that regular people, not military, not, you know, in some like Mandalorian jetpack, could just climb the wall and just run up in there on just on just GP? Like, just think it through for a second. The thing is, they knew they yeah. knew they were going to do it before they did it. Yeah. That's what it was. Not they like weren't they were allowed to. They were purposely unprepared. But that sounds like that sounds like a kind of conspiracy theory. Until people like think for like well, one and a half seconds. <laughs> well, they were they were saying they were going to do it on the internet. It was they were offered, offered assistance by the FBI, you know, and and turned it down. I mean, they they knew what could happen. If it had been a, a Black Lives Matter protest, they they would have had we, security in place. We've already seen it. That's the thing. Like we actually have again. This is history versus hypothetical. We've already seen what happens when we come near any major important building. We saw mm. them. On, we saw them on the steps. Them boys looked like they was getting ready to go to war. <laughs> it's like they was out there. These these security people had their hands in their pocket. And looking around, looking at their phone, like I got two more hours of this before I before I gotta go get my girl and get some dinner later. It was they were allowed to be there. There's just no other way to Yeah, most of the deaths that happened were due to medical emergencies. Like they shot one lady, but imagine if it had been us. It's it's not even I've I've heard that from a lot of like random white people. And I still think they're trying to capitalize on like being with us or whatever that they think that means. Like, I don't know if like after George Floyd, if you got all those emails from all these various companies talking about their, yeah. <laughs> talking about their commitment to diversity. We, we here at Athleta believe that we should, I'm like. <laughs> it was comical. It's so transparent. It. You, it's great entertainment. Like everybody was scrambling. They was, they was coming out with, and there was a couple companies that waited like two or three weeks and was giving one line statements. That's how you know how much they was giving it up. They had three weeks to come up with something cool and was like, like I really we care to. Tell you? That that was their last second. Like, okay, yeah, like us too. We, what yeah. they said. <laughs> That's basically what the line was. It was, we don't condone violence of any sort. Have a good day. I'm like, was that what y'all, <laughs> that was the three weeks? That's what the board Black directors people are okay sometimes. They might as well have just, you know, kept it real. If Nike came out with a shirt that said Black people are okay, <laughs> that would have been the most flagrant thing. <laughs> hey, man, we kind of mess with y'all. It's like, is that what that is that what y'all going with? And guarantee some people going to buy that. Oh, no, it's going to sell out. And some people buy it for the gag. And some people are like, I really do feel this way. And they'll think they're actually doing a service by buying it, not realizing how ridiculous it is. So where are we living? Yeah. So what are we going to do about it? I guess that's where, that's, that's, that's where we are now. That is the question. That's, people keep asking. And I don't know, here's the thing. Everything is, there's nothing new, right? That's nothing new under the sun. That's like one of the old, you know, mm -hmm. idioms or whatever. Except for like, like what the internet is, 
that's new because we didn't have even like back then like i guess maybe the printing press coming about was like their version of that but even then it wasn't as pervasive you couldn't just yeah you can whatever so this is the only thing obviously violence is not new racism is far from new all this stuff has been repeated but we never had the internet before we never had everyone available i can talk to someone in australia in 20 seconds we never had that level of access to people and so i think we don't have a historical precedent for how to move forward because we never have we never been disconnected as we are right now even with even during pangea we weren't like like we weren't like you're still like super far away from me like we're we're one continent but it's like you know oh my god like like you know like like you know how far away you are if you're like here and i'm here like but the fact that someone something can happen in saudi arabia we get it immediately on our news and it affects our policies like that this is such a weird time that it's it's almost i think we're almost i think we're too connected right now personally i don't think so okay i don't think so i mean it's all anything's bad if you use it wrong well yeah you know the nuclear bomb didn't start off as something bad nah you know are we to you just gotta try to account for the the negatives you know I get that part. Oh, my battery is too full. Um, I was saying we're too, I think we're too connected in this sense. That I think, you know, there, there's an idea of uh, too many choices. Like Walmart exemplifies this versus a restaurant that only has like five items on their menu. So Walmart's belief is we give you all the options. Eventually you'll find the option you want. And that's why we have a whole ketchup aisle. But what mm-hmm. happens is it's so many options that people can't choose a ketchup. This is like, which ketchup do I choose? Like, do I get the one that's tomato squeezed, the one that's got a little bit of salt, the one that's salt free, the one with sugar? And now you're just like, oh God. And so we go to the place that's like, we got one ketchup, take it or leave it. Then you may not like the option, but it's simple. Either I'm gonna take it or I'm not gonna take it. And I think because we're so connected, we're there's a lot of people, we're trying to fix what our country is. Some people are, but we're also like, well, we also gotta fix England at the Brexit and we also got to look out for this country. We got to look out for these people. And so it's like, we can't put all of our energy to one particular task because it's like, you see 10 other tasks because you have access to other things. And I think okay. it makes people's brains frayed a little bit. I look at it this way. I mean, we, we've always been in other people's business. That's not. But I think the average American is not concerned about what to do about Brexit. Like to the average American, it was a meme, you know? Memes are strong though. But I'm just saying like, it was the entertainment for the week. Sure. Nobody's, you know, nobody was concerned about it a month later. I think having more options give you more opportunity to make the right choice rather yeah. than we got these 12 bad ideas pick one right now let's hear everything but you know what i mean so nobody's getting silenced you can put whatever you want on the internet just about yeah they they yeah they got some parameters but for the most part you can kind of 
I mean, look at all the hateful stuff up on there. Why, why wouldn't we allow all the progressive stuff? You go to the comment section, boy, you start to see it's, it's, these comment sections get realer fast than I ever seen. It'll be one or two comments. I like this. This is cool. The next comment is immediately something completely off topic. <laughs> it's nothing to do with whatever the video was. It's just like, like what happened here? And, and I only look at it because I'm a comic. I like getting these jokes off. I don't, I don't think I even have comments on like my videos and stuff. So I don't even know what the comment section is for my life, but I'll look at somebody else's. I'll just look at, this took three comments for it to be like down with blah, 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 blah. And it's like this, this hate tirade. And then obviously people want to chime in. Well, actually that's, that's when you know it's about to get real in the comment section. When someone comes in with the, well, actually I'm going to drop some facts in the comment section. And then it just like <laughs> those, those comment, those comment scholars, Actually, guys, and this is Latin. I'm like, all right, here we go. And it's no, nah, but some people just get too comfortable. You know, they feel invincible on the internet. Yeah, of course. You know, people crazy. You gotta see some people in real life. <laughs> you gotta somebody might come find you. They they'll pull up. It's an interesting it's an interesting time because I think your idea about I think everything should be open and available in terms of bad and good information. I think I think like. I think the idea of almost anything is good. Ideas are ideas. They're, they don't have a, they're not anything. They're not immoral or whatever. I think it's people that make an idea go left or right. Because the idea of, I should have a hundred ketchup choices if I want ketchup. Maybe I want ketchup with a little bit of mayonnaise because I'm eating a burger that has both, but I want like half and half. Like you should have yep, those available okay. to you. But I think because most of what we do on the choice side eventually goes to commerce, like most of this eventually is something you have to sell, then selling gets to the people who own the companies and the people who own the companies. It should be a choice not to sell. It, it should be a choice to live in a, you know what I mean? Like, we could, we could have a, a completely different society if we wanted to. We don't have to stick with this one if it's not working. Yeah. Sound that. that works. You're making some points. I think, yeah, I think again, like, so the idea, so let's, let's ride with that idea. We can, we can be in a different society, let's say, but still within America, because obviously you can just move and now you're in a whole different culture. You mm. can just, yeah. So that's, we're taking that easy exit out. Staying here, but trying to change the culture is now the new culture where things are going versus the old guard, right? Because that's kind of how it would have to go. The people who are liking the old will have to like relent or kind of be overtaken by people who want something new. So mm-hmm. then like tangibly, like how do we go about making something like that happen? I think one thing we got to do is take a lot of power away from people that are going to be dead in a few years anyway. Because all they think about is right now. Sure. They're not thinking about the future. Because they don't have to deal with the consequences. Exactly. Let the people that are going to have to deal with the consequences make those kind of long-term decisions. So how do you get the power from the old people? They- <laughs> <laughs> Just come on. Come up to him at the ATM, like, oh, <laughs> give me your card. <laughs> Pretty much. You see what happened in, in, in Georgia. Oh yeah, they got they got they got it snatched. 
Them boys was like, they was like, Stacy said, "Now nah, we gonna, we're just gonna take Georgia. Y'all can have the, the governor's seat. We gonna, we're just gonna take Georgia." That's what happened. Yeah, I know that 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 plan took her. That's like a ten-year plan to get to where it got to. A lot of, lot of behind the scenes, a lot of yeah. mobilization, a lot of organization, just making little moves, like making little moves. Then it was like, all right, we going in, and it's just like. That's how things usually work. But so you people think people don't want to wait? People like it right now. I think that's you see, see you see how you, you see how you flow in a conversation. I think you just you tapped into something really big with the culture today. The reason, like, so I mentioned the, the choice thing earlier. The choice things allow for some instant gratification stuff. Like we don't, I don't know what they teach in, for to kids in school. I don't have any kids. We're past that age, but. There was the idea of college for four years and then a job. And now younger people are realizing that entrepreneurship is really the way to go. College doesn't really help a lot of people get what they're trying to get to because you're coming out making 30, 40,000 when I can do that at 18. Yeah, if that. And I can do that without having to go into debt to do it. I just have to like have an idea and then kind of make it happen, right? You can make that straight out of high school, just going to work in a call center. Yeah. By the time somebody's graduated college, you'll be making more than what they'll be making. Yeah. That's so that's so that's a beautiful that's the thing that I guess when we were younger, that wasn't necessarily like being taught. There was we knew a couple entrepreneurs, but it was still go to go to college, get a job yeah. with good benefits. We fell for it. <laughs> we fell for the okie doke. We fell for the banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> now we got a comedian and an artist. Yeah. You have to go to school for that. No. You don't, you don't have to. We're on Zoom. You don't have to like go to, to a tech school to know how to use Zoom. You just gotta download the app and then just run it. Everything's on YouTube, man. It's all on YouTube. It's it's it's, it's uh YouTube University. And, and books. Yeah. You'll put stuff in books too. You see you see my backdrop, you see what I'm doing over here. Real books. <laughs> I got real books too. This is just a backdrop. It's like, hey man, don't come at me like that. I like the lamp, all right? I like the lamp. I like the books in the back. <laughs> yes, I, re- I read daily. This is, I believe in that. But there is a, there's an entrepreneur spirit of the younger generation, which I think is amazing. Because yeah, they see what's possible. Yeah, they see, they, you know what happened? I think they started seeing the Zuckerberg type guys. Like they started seeing the tech startup dude at 20. Not even that. My, my nephews, all they watch is other kids on YouTube. Mm-hmm who makes, you know, kids that make money being on YouTube. So now what they want to do, they want to make money being on YouTube. Streamers is a big industry now. And then you have people that, you know, children that are selling their products online and kids see that. Now they want to create their own products. You know, it's a really, really, I mean, it's obviously it's like the YouTube is a, is everything available. You can type in anything. How do I, you know, you can you can make a bomb on YouTube, really, if you want to go that route. They do have videos. They used to say, how do I do makeup? And then you'll get 30,000 pages of makeup tutorials. And it's like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I mean, you really- still got to find the good information, but. There you go. But that, there. Usually, that, that usually rises, though, at a certain point. If there's 30,000 YouTube, uh, like, makeup videos, 
the people mm. who rise to the top either have the best videos or are the most popular people doing it. Yeah. Right. So like eventually that, I mean, I, mean, I know that you can also probably pay to be on the first page. I don't know YouTube's like financials, but I'm sure you can pay to be on the first page or whatever it is that you're doing. If you give you like, there's probably someone to do that. But generally, if you say how to get in shape, the first video won't be somebody with four views. Chris McGill. Yeah. It won't be, it's going to be, you know, somebody from the biggest loser who has, you know, 30 million views on how to do abs. That's going to be like, <laughs> now that may not even be the best video, but you know their name. Oh, that's Jillian Michaels. I know yeah. who that is. That's a, the small lady from Biggest Loser. And, and then, then you, you also have people that have figured out how to be original enough to get the attention, to get to that level, you know? That's why, I, you know, I just try to focus on doing what I do. I don't really try to recreate nobody else's formula. Cause it's not gonna work for me. No, it's only you. You gotta be the best version of what you are. Yeah, that way nobody can duplicate it. Yeah, I mean, I made that mistake early in comedy. I was out here trying to be like every famous comedian that I liked at the time. So I was like a little bit of like Cat Williams. I was like a little bit of Kevin. I was like a little. I was a, I was a little bit of everybody. That's the was, instinct. Yeah, it was wrong. It's uncomfortable though. Like, it gets uncomfortable trying to be somebody else. So, especially, I'm not gonna be a better version of them than they are. So, like, it was, it didn't, it, it didn't make me. I first, I didn't get better at the craft. Secondly, I was a fraud in that moment. Thirdly, mm -hmm. people knew who these other people were because they also know who they are. It's like, yeah, I watch Cat Williams. I know when you're doing a Cat Williams yeah, impression. There's nothing wrong with like taking inspiration, you know, taking skills from here and there, but you know, you got to pull from a lot of different sources to, to kind of structure what your yeah. style is. There's a, there's a book someone gave me called steal like an artist. Uh, I don't, I don't know how old I, this is like five to 10 years ago. I got it. And that's basically what it was. It's like, everyone is some like, you know, amalgamation of other elements as much as we love, Prince or James Brown or, you know, Jimi Hendrix or whatever, like they, they had teachers, they had tutors, they got inspiration from somebody. They may have taken it to the furthest extreme because work ethic, some God given abilities, all that stuff, but they didn't just drop on a scene with nothing to guide them. Like there was something there. They just did it and just like, they yeah. remixed it. And their teachers had teachers and, you know, just, it just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and now you're a teacher. So like, let's get into that. How was it like teaching the youth? Like, how's that, how's it like to be in that position for you? It's cool. Um, I, I actually teach kids and adults, but um, oh, nice. I teach them in different ways, of course, but I think um, my, my style of teaching is more, I like to teach the way I think about art. Okay. You know, things I figured out that you weren't necessarily taught in school. And I took a lot of art classes. And, you know, people never explain stuff to me this way. But when, when I figure it out, I try to pass it on. So, you know, I believe in, in knowing the basics and, and all that. But sometimes it's more important to know who you are as an artist, you know, like, I may not want to 
grow up and do realistic portraits. You know, so I may not spend as much time on that. You know, so I try to tailor it to, you know, figuring out what, what you are good at, what you like to do, you know, just give you the tools to do it. So like, give us an example of something that you learned about art that you weren't taught that kind of guides how you're teaching now. Like those, like those lessons that you learned along the way. Um, one thing that, um, it's not, not necessarily something I learned, but something I kind of came up with a, a way to explain it to myself. Like I have to explain stuff to myself to understand it. Okay. So I found that when I explain it to other people that way, it makes sense to them too. Whereas, you know, with the textbook definition they might be struggling with. Sure. So like when it comes to how to draw how to draw accurately, you know, without guides or anything like that, you know, most people when they're drawing, they they look like this. But if you're if you're drawing something, you have to look at it. Mm. You know what I mean? So Drawing is less about what your hand can do and more about your eyes. Most people don't realize that. And once you get somebody to understand that, then their their skills improve because they're actually observing what they're trying to recreate. That makes sense. That seems that seems simplistic. Again, I'm not an artist in the least, but but I'm sure the, the textbook says it in the most complicated. Yeah, I mean, you know, teach, people will tell you, you got to look at what you're drawing, but I think some people just need to, and, and sometimes you have to figure out how that person understands things and mm-hmm. then re, reword what you've learned into terms that they understand. Right. So sometimes it's not what makes sense to me. I have to figure out what makes sense to them. I mean, that's the essence of teaching, right? Like, yeah, that's why standardized teaching is a weird, I mean, you, there has to be some level of standardization, but then yeah. there's so much nuance in how people are, even just from like, I'm a visual learner to like, I'm a physical, like even from that point, it's. But does there have to be standardization though? I mean, I'll say this, like, I would think to be an artist, like the basic parts, you say you teach the basics and then you go way above that. I think the basics would be the standardization part. If you get, if you get the, the relation. I'll give you an example of why I don't think that's the case. Okay. Um, for one, there's, there's many self-taught artists that are incredible. Mm. Never took a class, didn't, didn't even start when YouTube was a thing. They just have to figure it out, you know, on their own. And I mean, that's how I started doing art. But, you know, I'll, like I said, I teach adults too, but usually it's, it's in like shorter sessions. Mm. So like hour, two hours. And for the most part, they're doing everything themselves. They're making all the decisions. I'm just throughout the, the session, I'm presenting options. Like, you know, you know, you can use this this way, you know, did you know you can do this? Or you could do it that way, pay attention to this, you know, that may help you 
figure out what you want to do next, you know. But I never like tell them what to do. Gotcha. Sometimes I will take, um, you know, instead of a brush, I'll give them a palette knife. I don't tell them what to do with it though. I just tell them, I, I tell them there are no rules and just do what makes sense to you. And a lot of them come out with some interesting stuff without much training or teaching. You know, I might, I might tell them some things about how colors work with each other, give them a basic color theory lesson or something like that, just so they understand how colors work basically. Mm. But other than that, I don't really, I don't really do a lot of teaching. Okay. And I think, oh, sorry, my bad. No, I'm just going to say, like, they they end up with something that they can actually, you know, feel like, you know, maybe they want to hang up somewhere. So it was a cool okay. process. Yeah, I think the word standardization, I guess, is maybe it's maybe, maybe the wording is not where it is. I meant, like, more or less, like you said, like, there's color schemes and palettes and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're in a creative field. So there are, there's the, there's the basic way that I think it's done most of the time. And then you can obviously mm -hmm. remix it. So like if you're so for a comedy, if you're going to tell a joke, typically there's the setup, this, and then it's a punchline. Now that can happen like Ronnie Dangerfield. Hey, so I saw my wife the other day and Hey, you, mm -hmm. and it could be like 10 seconds or it can be like a 15 minute story. But if you break down the elements that are in the story, those elements are in there. Even if no one taught you, this is what it is. It's like, it almost is inherent to the joke process. So that's what I meant when I said there's, those elements are in there, even if they're not like, and I'm sure there are technical artists who do everything so by the book that it's like, you know, maybe too I, I rigid. I believe in knowing the rules mm -hmm. so that you can break the rules, you know? Um, but I guess what I was in terms of standardization, I think as long as you get there, who cares how you got there? You know what I mean? That there, there are places that have completely different structures and outperform us dramatically, mm -hmm. which means there are other ways to do it. Oh yeah. Why don't we find, you know, it doesn't have to be one way. It can be whatever mm -hmm. works. I'm good with that. Figure out what works for your system, you know? I think I did my core paper in college on not standardization. That's actually what my thing was. So I'm not even, even though I'm, may, I'm taking this position, maybe so for the pod and for the juxtaposition, yeah, I generally like I we happen to both be like book smart people and then like world smart people. So we could take a test and get the right grade and be like, oh, you're smart because you got the grade. And then you can also like but some people can't take that and translate it to the real world. They're only the book person. It's like uh, Pythagorean theorem. And then they can't like have a real conversation because they're yeah. maybe they're almost two different intellects at that time. But my paper, and this is you know, 11, 12 years ago, was basically there's so many different types of intelligence and people learn so many different ways and people are talented in so many different ways. Mm. If you're only, it was more about admission to college based on standardization. It was like, 
if you're only basing it off of these three tests, ACT, SAT, and whatever the third one was, GRE or something like that, if you're only basing your admittance on this and extracurriculars, then you're cutting off so many people because you're not, you're not getting some of the most outlier talented people who maybe they're just, they, they can't quantify and they can't explain what they do. They just do it. And yeah. it was more like, that's where my paper was. Cause I, and I, even though that wasn't me, I was speaking for the, the masses. So I felt like they need a voice and maybe they can't say it as clearly as I can in this paper. And that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of where it went. It's like me, like in, in the art classes that I took, especially, you know, at a higher level. Sorry about that. <laughs> Got a train going through. That train's a hater. <laughs> Go ahead. Nothing I can do about that. Not a, we just roll with it. Um but yeah, you know, I kinda I didn't really fit into the the standard way of doing things because you know there was always a lot of extra stuff that went into you know what they expected mm -hmm. and I was type person tell me what I need to do I'm gonna do it give me my grade let's go <laughs> right you know oh you know we did I I um I was in IB art you're gonna have you know, all these extensive writings on each thing that you do and all this stuff. And I just didn't work like that, you know? But I was still, I was still satisfying the criteria of the actual artwork. I just didn't have all, all the extra, right. um, you know, my, my write-ups wasn't extensive. It was just like, this is what it is. And I'm still kind of like that, but I, I've learned to kind of balance it all, but I remember I took a, a sculpture class in college and, you know, I would show up like once a week just to know what was going on. Yeah. You know, and then I would do my project the night before, come in, get my A, repeat. So we were like, four or five projects in and we were doing like midterm reviews and stuff and my teacher was like you're the only person in the class that has an A on all the projects so far and he's like but you gotta start coming to class <laughs> I was like why like why clearly I'm understanding what's going on right why I need to come to class? Well, you know, there's a process and, you know, other people need to see your process. But if I come to class and, and do it in class, it's not my process. You know? Yeah. You're setting a bad example, Marcus. <laughs> I don't think I should be penalized for that. I think I should be able to, if I'm producing what I need to be producing, I think that should be what counts. But that was just, you know, young rebellious me. What? <laughs> I don't come once a week and be the best student in class. It's like, well, Mark, that's there isn't attendance. Yeah. Honestly, I felt I felt that way about all my classes, honestly, because I was paying for them. Sure. But you know, I understand as a teacher how you may feel differently, but 
you didn't have that perspective at the time. You were on the other no. side of it. No. It's like, I, I think I imagine that's how it is being a child and being a parent. Like I imagine as a kid, you like, go to bed at eight o'clock. Man, I don't want to go to bed. And you don't even understand why you make him go to bed at eight o'clock. Because as a parent, you understand your kid needs to get a certain amount of sleep. Sleep. Yeah. You need sleep. Like, even if you think you need to be the bad guy. <laughs> it's like, hey, go to bed. <laughs> Mom. Yeah. I, I, you may be mad at me for tonight, but in the morning, I'll make breakfast and you will forget about how They'll get it later. Yeah. yeah. It's not their job to get it. They'll get it later. Yeah. You just keep moving. Now you become a parent and you realize you're doing the same stuff your parents are doing. You start even, even the verbiage is the same. You're like, ooh, that just, <laughs> that just snuck out. <laughs> you know what works. You know what works. You know from experience. It's an interesting thing, man. I like I'm not a parent yet. I have nieces and nephews, and when I'm around them, I I feel my parents coming out sometimes talking to them. Like they'll yeah. do something. I'm just like, like, like calm down, nah. I'm like, oh no, ooh, ooh, where that, <laughs> where'd that come from? <laughs> that, that that stuck out from 30 years ago. Like, just, <laughs> it's so stupid, but. You 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 made me think of something when you were talking about how you were in art class and like the work you put in versus the output, and that's the outcome focus versus process focused approach. Mm. And if the outcome is to make good work and get good grades, then an entrepreneur will say you're in the right, you did the right thing, mm. because ultimately we said get a good sculpture. You see the sculpture, is it great? It's amazing. Cool, I did the mm. job. The process focus, which is what most jobs are, is we can't have 10 Marcuses on our team because they probably will do what you do and get like a C and be like, well, I was going to class and getting a B, but now I'm not going to class and getting a C. That's not that much of a difference. Now yeah. I got all this free time. And so now you have a team of rebellious people. So it's a, you're exceptional, which is a compliment to you. But the process makes non-exceptional people competent. And, and so and that's I, I get that. Yeah. And I and, and I am more process driven now more than I've ever been, just because I'm enjoying the process. You know, I experiment a lot. I try I try stuff. You know, it's kind of like I'm in my own class. You know, I'm teaching myself. But um even so, like you would think in an art school, you know an art school that you would want people to grasp the concept overall, like that, that would be the main goal. Not just getting a grade, you know, like having a command of the concept. Right. As long as that's the case, you did your job. You know, they did their job. Now, if you just winging it, and you know, sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss, you may not understand what's going on. Yeah. You can't hit every time and not understand what's going on. Sure. I think so I we, think you have to tailor it to the individuals. I think you the whole concept thing, I didn't have a teacher who even taught concept stuff to me really until like uh Mr. Copeland for like uh I think it was pre-calculus. He was oh, the first man, I didn't have him. Copeland's that dude, man. He's he's been an unofficial mentor, like just the way just from that class. Like we don't, I don't mind in contact with him now. I don't I don't know what's going on. I should probably try to find him. But just from what that year of schooling was, mm -hmm. it stayed with me. Like I only have a 401k because of him. 
Let me Let's tell you a story see. about Mr. Copeland. Go ahead. I had um, a teacher. I'm not going to name the teacher. Okay. They, they were teacher of the year at one point. This was in a, an IV, one of some math class, I don't remember. Nobody understood what was going on that week. I'm talking about the overachievers that we usually go to. Yeah. They didn't know what was going on. Nobody got it. Ms. Copeland comes in to sub one day and explain it in a way that everybody got it. That's what I try to do. Like, I just want to explain it in a way that everybody's going to be able to understand what's going on. Yeah, that's, I actually have a similar story. Obviously, he was my teacher, so I have him in the pre-cal side, but I was in, uh, I think, AP Physics the same year. And I like physics because it makes sense for athletes. It's velocities, vectors, like it's angles, it's all the things you think about, a flight of a football, it's all mm. physics. I'm like, that's how I gauge where to get the pick from. I see how far it is. I can kind of, that's that makes perfect sense to me. So for a lot of people, physics was like, I don't get the concepts so they couldn't apply it. I can apply acceleration. I can apply force. All that stuff makes sense. But we were learning a new concept. I, figured, I don't know what the concept was. And I was in class. He was, he was subbing the class. I don't know why he was in here. He really shouldn't have been. That's not his, that's not his course at all. It's a math teacher. Um, you just yeah. love teaching. That, that was just floating around. And so someone brought him a problem with almost no context. Hey, we mm. can't solve this problem. And like, we really couldn't figure out what the problem was. He looked at it and he just started writing. And then he looked at the board. He's like, all right, close the book. And then he just wrote for like the next, like on a minute or two minutes and just went through everything it was. And he covered like nine chapters of physics to get to what this answer was. He's like, now I don't know how far along in the book you guys are, but you're going to learn this concept soon called, like he was in the, he was in the pocket. And by mm. the end of it, we're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Well, that's why I always favorite physics over like calculus and stuff like that. Like in physics, everything had a practical application. Like yep. I could just say, hey, this is how this works. And I always as a kid, like knowing how stuff works. But when it came to like calculus, it was just numbers. I was just like, calculus is rough. Numbers and symbols. <laughs> it was so hard. It was so hard. I don't care about this curve at all. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard someone say that about math. They like, find a curve. Man, I don't care about this curve. <laughs> like find infinity. No. <laughs> this curve benefit me. So yeah, that and it, it's it's funny because looking back, I realized that it was all the same concepts. You know, the math was the same, and a lot of it. Yeah. Which is one made sense. One didn't make sense to me because it didn't apply to anything. I think so that's, I yeah, that's what, that's what I think that was the brilliance of where he was. Cause people ask me all the time, like who are your mentors, who people who inspired you? And you know, I'm going to say to people, the, the common parents, pastor, priest, maybe you had a mentor, maybe an older sibling, if you're lucky to have one. And I always mm -hmm. put Mr. Copeland in that category because I was a good math student, but I wasn't great. And I was mm -hmm. like, a, I was a, 82 to like 86 math student. I can, I can, I can get a B easily. I would have to work to get an A basically. Yeah. And 
when it came to doing pre-cal, I was going to go like stat and not do pre-cal basically. And he saw me, I think he was subbing again. I'm like, this guy was all over the place. <laughs> and he saw me, he was like, are you taking pre-cal next year? He didn't even know who I was really. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like I already got a lot of classes for next year. <laughs> I'm not really trying to add to my workload. No. <laughs> he knew. And I was like, ah, you know, the way my schedule looking, I got, you know, AP lit. It's probably not gonna happen. He was like, I think you should do it. And I said, like, all right, cool, I'll do it. And he happened to be my teacher. And his whole thing was, I wanted to see your work on everything you do. Mm-hmm. Because math is very, there's there's some usually a handful of ways to get to a certain problem. And he knows all the like permutations. So he's like, you may go to back door or the front door. I'll figure out where you are. But if I that's see why, your work, yeah. That's why I always didn't do as well in math because everybody wanted you to do it one way. And I always had to figure out my own, like I had to figure out why I got to the answer, you know? And the math is gonna look different. So that that showing your work part always was a problem for me because I didn't show it the way they wanted you to show it. See, I think if you had him, he would he didn't he would say the fact that I know there's ten different ways to the problem means that I'm okay with you doing ten different ways. There mm-hmm. are ways that are harder, so maybe like we're teaching you this way because it's the most efficient way to get there. But some people have brain is long form, exactly. So. His whole thing was, you can do a miscalculation, but have good work. And if you just had a final answer, like a, like yes or no, thumbs up, thumbs down, then mm-hmm. if you had a good calculation that you missed, maybe you put in the wrong decimal at some point and ended up with the wrong answer. If your work is all good, he would still give you some credit because your work was good. Where most math teachers would be like, your final answer is wrong. So the answer is wrong. Because well, he was actually trying to teach people. Exactly. That's a different, you know, some people just trying to make you get the grade. Some people are actually trying to teach you. No, that was the difference. And that was like such an, because he was like, all right, this is the right answer. How'd you get here? And I, and I verbalized what it is. And he's like, all right, write it down. And it just made that whole math. Like I actually, I enjoy pre-cal because I enjoyed having to know how it went. Now, calculus was a rough one. I didn't enjoy any part of calculus, <laughs> but I enjoyed that. And he mentioned the 401k thing to us then. We were like 16, 17 years old. And he was saying basically, about compounding interest, which is a concept that wasn't really in any of our coursework. He was just talking. I think he was, we had off day or something. He was like, I'm gonna tell you guys about compounding interest and why you should you know, start putting money in savings as soon as you can. I'm like, what's happening? This guy's all over, like, what are you doing? You don't do this. That, that was that was something I wish I knew at that at that age, you know? Like, that's, that's what we need to be taught. That's. That's what he was doing. I didn't, but I did. I was like a 17, 18 year old kid. Like, bro, I had like $4. Like, would you mean? I can't compound this, this quarter, but you can. But like at the time, you don't even see what the future is. And yeah, it was remember right now. It stuck with you. Yeah. Well, I have a four on one day. I've had one for like 10 years. So like, because of, because when it became available at Equinox, they were like, hey, you're full time now. You qualify for a 401k. And mm. I was like, oh, wait, I remember this. Mr. Copeland was like, you should put, his, I think he was saying he put like five to ten percent of his paycheck into the account and it just compounded for like 40 years. That account is like worth seven figures now because he was on an engineer salary and whatever. And I was like, well, I'm not making what he was making, but if I just put I'm doing some quick math, I'm like, I can save you know a couple thousand a year without even realizing I'm doing it. And then when I'm like 40 or 50, that account's looking nice and it's getting bigger because it's compounding. So I was like, oh yeah. man, this is dope. And so they, they gave me a chance to sign up for it and 
like I checked it last month and it's doing great. We have like 8% return right now. It's doing very healthily. <laughs> like it was, but it was something he taught me on a one-off day. And we took economics and other stuff. It never really came up to like real life money. It was just like, he said it and I remembered it because he just showed us the money. Like if you do a penny a day, how like if you like double a penny every day, like up to like 17 days is only worth like a hundred dollars. But by day 31 is worth 10 million. And it's wild when you start seeing the numbers, like, holy, like how it can go. But mm. yeah, he had to show it out. Like what's one, all right, two, then four. Yeah, like, yeah we get it, man. And then when it says 1.2 million, 2.4 million, 4.8, you're like, whoa and he's like this is the kid out of made our eyes open we yeah. understood the importance of it and you know my account thinks so. <laughs> appreciate you mr copeland i'm gonna buy a house in florida one day off your recommendation you know seven years earlier we need more people like them well, that's, that's what we're trying to do that's what impact is right I think that's what his was that's what he was trying to do. He didn't need the money. He didn't need the ego. Like he knew what he was doing. It was he wanted impact. He, he didn't think we would be on the podcast talking about him. He just nah. wanted to give the information. And that information is who knows how far that's gonna go. That's that's the beauty of impact. You don't know. Like I'll tell this story and then we'll wrap it up. There was a woman who wanted to work at the UCF gym. I'm rocking my alma mater because that's how we roll. Uh, she wanted to work at our gym. Whatever, dude. I'm, I'm from, I'm, you know, you know, I feel like Gainesville. But she, our gym was mad exclusive when I worked there. It was really hard to get into it. They only hired, you know, three to five people. And we had 50,000 people at the school. So that's a really small pool. I got in through a connection and by being in shape for doing football tryouts and stuff. And mm -hmm. I saw this woman who I thought would be really good on our staff. I was like, yo, she's in good shape. She's young. She's talkative and all that stuff we need all those things and i asked her, hey do you, you do you want to like get the indoor to like the interview part and she was like yeah but they probably won't hire me like i'm only 20 and i know they hire like 18 year olds where they can groom them for four years and so i understood where she was coming from i said listen just come in for the interview i think you'd be great whatever she came in for the interview and she dominated she was great i was actually part of the interview i didn't think i would be and she got hired and i hit her up like a few months ago during COVID. And she was like, me getting that job at the rec center changed the course of my life. I was going to school to do something completely different. I'm now, I own my own gym. I'm a fitness instructor. I do classes, I do wellness. I'm a fitness, my job is being a fitness professional. And I didn't know how, I just like being in shape because I'm in college and I'm a sorority girl. But then once I got into the culture, I realized this is my life's passion. And that decision to you to say, hey, you want to work here? Because I think you'd be good. Literally changed the course of my life. I didn't know. We didn't speak for like five years. No idea what she was mm. doing. No idea. And it was just like, you don't know how much impact you made by just talking to me that day. And I was like, man, uh, that, that she big me up. I felt, I felt like. I grew a couple sizes, huh? Hey, man. Like, I was like, hey, man, my heart getting a little too big right now. I had to go, had to go do, commit a petty crime just to bring things back. <laughs> but no, that's 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 i mean that's big but you're doing the same thing like you don't know how many students you're in, you're influencing how many adults you're influencing just you just you talking about how to look at art the way you look at it 
may change the way they look at things in life they thought were more complex than they are. They may be like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking this. Like, and then once you change their paradigm, everything opens up. We have a lot of those kind of conversations too, um, especially with um, kind of like the teenage range. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, they are into instant gratification. They're not really thinking about the process. Right. They're kind of thinking about, I need it to look like this, or I need to know mm-hmm. what it should look like. Sometimes you don't know what it's going to look like until you get there. Right. Sometimes when, that's when you make your best work. So that is something that I try to shift a little bit in their minds, but you, know, you never know what, what's going to stick, but that's real impact, man. I like you're going to see, see them 10 years from now doing like being teachers themselves or like, you know, taking that little applied knowledge and making it like their mantra or something. You'll be sitting here like that worked out well. Even though that wasn't your intent, wasn't yeah. on the, it just worked out well. Like, yeah, if it work, if it work out for them, it works out for me. However, you know, even if they just, you know, working a nine to five and doing art on the side, and they're happy with that, mm. you know, I contributed something, you know. You put you put some you put good. I, I've always thought if you put good work out then it, it good comes back in one way or the other. It may not come back to you directly. It may just be society, societal good, but you should try to put as much good work and good vibes and good energy as, out as much as you can. You see, you, you, they say pay it forward. That's like a thing. You're mm-hmm. paying that, but you don't know how that may parlay itself two, three generations down the line. Mm-hmm. Off, off of something you said on a Tuesday night, <laughs> you just said something kind of offhand about, you know, art is not about what you see, it's about what you don't see. And then you just walk off and they'd be like, what did you say? And listen, man, when, when we get to talk about certain things, like I'll talk forever. So who knows what, you know, take take from it what you will. Say it, man. It might be 90% gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> but that 10% going to hit, going to Gonna hit them where it belonged, though. Hopefully. Well, well, look, man, this has been awesome having you on, dude. Like catching back up, talking about our given goals and professions and passions and all that. Where can people find your social so they can follow your work and see what you have coming down down the line? Um, Instagram is the main source. Um, art of underscore and will. Um, that's that's going to be mainly where you can see my work. Um, so I usually direct people there. Um, I have a Facebook page. Um, and will the artist. Some stuff on there too, but Instagram's main place. What's up, man? Look, man. Do you have anything? Any final words, any little advice for maybe an artist at home who doesn't live in your area that's like, I don't get it or I want to get into it? Like any kind of parting shot to like put them on the right path, I think. Only thing I can say, because, you know, everybody's different, but I usually try to tell people to have fun and to just do it. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Just do it. 
just start doing it. I actually said yeah. that I said that to somebody earlier today, actually, and they were like, because they wanted more. <laughs> they wanted me to say more words. <laughs> I was like, there's no more words. <laughs> just do it. Like, it's really, I mean, a lot yeah. of stuff is just simple. You know, do you. You know, if you want to learn something, I can teach you, or you can you can go online and find it. But at the end of the day, you gotta enjoy it. Are you doing anything Otherwise, virtually? I just I'm sorry, I just thought about a question now. Um, not at the moment. Um, I'm really like I said, I'm doing commissions. Um, I'm I'm working on some some of my own work, hmm. not for anything specific. And um, that's teaching and stuff like that. So nothing in the works at the moment. Okay. I just, it just crossed my mind. I was like, because someone may hear this in like Wyoming and be like, that guy's great. <laughs> I want to work with him. Oh, it's like, like uh, virtual teaching? Yeah, yeah. I'll consider it, you know, if, if the opportunity presents. It had been something that, you know, I'm just starting kind of having um, regular tutoring so that may be a, a component that is added okay i'm just i'm thinking this, this is my this is my creative brain I'm trying to like i'm trying to take it to the next level hey it's it's definitely on the table okay you heard it here people this is a low-key commercial but marcus this has been dope man thanks for being on uh the audience at home, thank you for tuning in. Again, we're coming to you every Wednesday now because I didn't have a consistent posting schedule, but mm -hmm. again, I'm, I'm doing it. Wednesdays, hump day, you get in the pod, whether it's me, whether it's a guest, you're getting it because I'm keeping myself accountable to that. Uh, Marcus, we can stay on for a, a few minutes after this, so I'm just going to end the recording. But thank you guys for tuning in. Check out Marcus on his Facebook and IG, but more specifically IG to see his work. And if you have any questions, I'm sure they can like, can I DM you or? Oh, definitely, yeah. If they have any questions, DM them. And he may consider virtual. I'm sure it's going to cost you something. But if you can figure that stuff out down the line. Uh, a little, little There's a little something, you know, you got you to gotta pay the creators. But this has been dope. We'll see you guys next time. Take care.